I think some of you misunderstood me. I didn't mean tell your neighbor how great he is. Tell your neighbor how great the Lord is. Okay? But I guess that's okay. It's probably the first time some of you have got a compliment in months. So... Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We looked last week at the abuse of women. The abuse of women. And so I thought it would be a good idea if today we finish them off. Be nice to Pastor Month. Laugh at his jokes. We saw last week that God has established order along the lines of submission and authority. And that's necessary for people to live in a society. Wherever you put two people together, you're going to have conflicting goals, conflicting desires, conflicting methodologies. And so for there to be order in a society, there has to be a place where the buck can stop. Somebody who leads, somebody who follows. And so we saw that God has done that. And we said, and this is very important, that that is purely functional not based on worth or ability. Specifically, especially in this relationship of man and women, husband and wife. A husband is not worth more than the wife. A husband is not necessarily of greater spiritual ability than the wife. Many times the wife is much more spiritual than the husband. But because she's spiritual, she will honor God's order of authority and submission. It's very important to understand that. We saw, in fact, that submission and authority, at least biblically, is done out of mutual submission. That love is always the motive. If there is submission on the part of the wife, it's a submission based on love. And the authority of the husband is always ministered to with the goal and with the motive and the exercise of, in fact, love. And, and when it's properly done, this principle of, of submission and authority, you almost don't see the roles. They disappear. Now all you see is the love. The greatest example of this, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He is in no way inferior to the Father. But He was in submission to the Father. And He said it was with the motive of love. I love the Father. Therefore, I do His will. You see that? And that's the way it should be for you and I. Now when God establishes his principles of order and authority, he does so with the intention that men and women will honor them. And we said last time that when man leaves God's order out, tragedy is going to come in and we're going to see the abuse of women. And we saw that throughout history. And that was a real tragedy. But we said last time that even worse than that is when the people of God who have God's instruction manual the revelation of God about humanity and God's purposes and God's wisdom. When the church leaves out God's established order and principles of authority and submission based on love, then that abuse of women will occur in a much more tragic sense because of the spiritual guilt that can be ministered and the spiritual bondage because after all, it's God's word. See? even though we're, we're perverting it and misunderstanding it and misapplying it. And so the abuse of women heightens in its intensity. 
And we shared with you last time, beloved, that this has happened. And I shared with you three verses where this has happened. Three key verses in Old and New Testament where the Word of God has not been understood and applied properly. And many, many women have borne the brunt of it. And they have been abused in the church. And it's, it's a tragic thing. And that's all I want to say on that in terms of review. We don't have time. We're going to need extra time today for what we're going to be pursuing. And I would encourage you, if you missed last week, get a hold of that tape. Because we're sharing with you a view that is not heard in churches across this country. And it's a very dangerous thing to do to step out on uncommon ground. But I believe we saw last week that it is the more credible biblical position when you look at those three verses. And you and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are going to have to weigh that out for yourselves. This morning, though, we want to continue. We said that we saw the abuse of women last time and that we would pick it up from where we left off last time. So let's look at the abuse of women, part two. And in fact, we'll put that on the overhead for you. The abuse of women, part two. Why are you smiling? Why are you smiling? How'd that get there? A little church mouse snuck into my office. Beloved, it got there because it belongs there. You see, just as when a man leaves God's established order out and ends up abusing women, in the very same way when woman leaves God's established order and perverts the principle for her role, she can abuse men. And I want to be very honest with you this morning. To be frank with you, you might struggle a bit with what I share with you today. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And as you hear those verses, I have no doubt in my mind that you have heard this passage taught many, many times. It is a popular passage for pastors and teachers to teach. Especially with the demise of the family in this culture. We teach it a lot. I, in fact, have taught it a lot. But I'm going to share with you today that I'm going to teach it differently from the way I've ever taught it before. It's a very easy thing to exegete this passage. I mean, you, you come into it, you look at it, and you observe the context, and you, you do your lexicography, your word studies, and, and you do your grammar, and, and the phraseology and all of it, and you package it, and you present it all out and say, here's the truth. And it can be a very rosy picture from a pulpit. But you can't do that with this passage. You've got to take this passage and put it into the pew where there are very real people with very real failures, very real hurts, very real weaknesses, living in a sin-cursed world, trying to pull this off. And if you'll take it out of the prettiness of the pulpit and put it in the reality of the pew, it's sometimes not very pretty. And that's what I want to do today. I don't want to just dispense knowledge to you. I want it to be reality. That in fact gets put into your feet and in your walk. 
So please understand that my goal here is not to please you, but to present truth to you. That having understood the truth, your life can change. So we're going to start, first of all, with the perversion of the role of women. And before we go any further, I think we need to pray. Father, let him who has ears to hear, hear. My Father, I can't make any of my brothers and sisters see what we're going to share with them today. And I don't want to show them. I don't want to make them see. I want the Holy Spirit to show them, Father, as we seek you. That each of us would be conformed to the image of Christ. And so, Father, my deepest prayer is that they would not see the messenger of your truth today, but that, Father, each of us would see with spiritual eyes, see you as a Father with us on your lap and you teaching us. And so, Father, let him who has ears to hear, let them hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the years of ministry that our Father has preserved us through. Did you hear that? Preserved us through? There are a lot of casualties in ministry. People who bail out. You see, in a very real way, anytime you stand up to teach this book, there is one boss that I serve. That is God our Father. In a very real way, at least on paper, I have five or six sub-bosses called elders that mutually shepherd each other and shepherd me and keep us, hopefully, where we need to be. But please understand that any time you teach this book, like we teach it, the reality is I have 300 bosses. Because everyone that hears what I share has a unique filter from the experiences of their life, unique perspectives, unique understandings in terms of where the Holy Spirit has them, and I can get any number of opinions and feedback back. In other words, every time I teach this book, I can be a very unpopular guy. Or a very popular guy. And to be honest with you, you can't get caught up in that. Because when you start to please people, you'll end up not pleasing God. I believe that could happen today. But I take the risk anyway. Because we don't want to please man so much as we want to please God. And I believe wholeheartedly in what I'm about to share with you today. So as Father has preserved us through the years, we have had the opportunity and the privilege and the frustration to deal with couples who are struggling. Now that in itself ought not surprise us, beloved. I mean, the last time I checked, one plus one equals two. Isn't that right? That is normal. That's the way it's supposed to be. If you don't agree that one plus one equals two, you will fail your mathematics in school. You will not graduate from school. You'll end up getting a crummy job that won't pay much. With the little money that you do have, you won't be able to count your money at a cash register. You won't be able to balance your checkbook. Your spouse will get mad at you. 
You'll get your feelings hurt. You'll run home to mother. Your kids will be insecure. And it's all because you don't know that 1 plus 1 equals 2. That is reality. That's the way it is in this universe. So please understand, when God says that in a marital union, it's going to be 1 plus 1 equaling 1, that is in fact abnormal. Now we like to think that because we're Christians, it's going to be kind of like this. Here's the one, here's the other, here's the covenant of oneness. Y'all miss your cue. Ah, see, and that's the way we like to think it's going to be because we're Christians, but please understand, we're Christians that are human beings, human beings that have the flesh, and the flesh always wants to exalt who? Itself. And so there's the tendency to be a war. And so the reality is, it's not this. But it's kind of like, you know, test the waters first, you know, and then, you know, one, you know, that's kind of how it works. How many of you can testify with an amen? Amen. amen. That wasn't loud enough. I'm going to call on you for personal testimony if you don't say it louder. There is a car running in the parking lot, a Honda with a license plate AWC 121. We're waiting. <laughs> now come on, stand secure in Christ. Your reputation is not dependent on your behavior. But as soon as we get started, they'll sneak out, you know. We'll stop in the middle of the sermon, though, and call attention to you. No, we won't do that. But, you know, really, this, this thing is what the books and films tell us. And many of them are not honest. One plus one equals two. And so the truth is, when we try to make one plus one equal one, it is abnormal, and there will be conflict. And this is what we call marital bliss. Because we get blistered in the process. It's true. Do any of our premaritals in the last while here today? Do I have a premarital couple that we counsel? We had a couple in the first service. Okay. I would call on them to testify here. There is one thing that I over and over and over and over and over again tell our premarital couples over the four to five months that we counsel them. That the number one thing you will learn in marriage beyond anything else is how selfish you are. And all the spouses of God said, uh, Amen. You see, in an honest, intimate Christian marriage, you will have, as Proverbs says, the wounds of a faithful friend. If you ask my bride who has hurt her, who has stung her more than anyone else in this life, she will tell you that it is the one who loves her me. And I stand here before you to be very honest and tell you that the one who has hurt me worse than anyone else in this world is the one who loves me. It's my bride. And you know something? We ought to expect that. I mean, that person is the one that we are building the most intimate bridge with. 
The one who's going to know us better than anyone else in this world knows us. When you and I build a superficial bridge, a, a little rope bridge, a little wooden bridge, man, those things are thrown up, and torn down, and thrown back up, and torn down, and they're really, you know, they're just not a lot to them. But you build an intimate superstructure of concrete and steel. It goes up slowly and painfully, and when it falls, gang, it falls hard. And that's reality. And we need to be honest about it. You and I as human beings are in a process where we are learning to have one plus one equal one. Learning it. Now for God it's no problem. God it's one plus one plus one equals one. And it's very easy for God. But that's supernatural. God is perfectly holy. Perfectly loving. Perfectly kind. Perfectly gentle. Look to the right, look to the left, and I guarantee you, you don't see that in this room. And so for you and I as Christians, it's really kind of like this. One plus one plus the one. And we can begin to equal one. And that's supernatural because Jesus Christ has invaded our union. So through marriage, we get to learn about God. Now, beloved, as I share, when we deal with conflicting couples, we have heard the complaints of conflicting couples. And today we're going to focus on the complaints of the woman. Guys, your turn is coming. You say, well, why are we going to deal with the women first? Because God named them first. They show up first in the passage. Verse 22. Wives. Uh, men will come later in verse 25. I have, however, another reason that I believe that's so, and I'll share that with you in a few minutes. But first I want to focus on some of the complaints. Now before we do this, I want an oath, I want law, all elbows will stay secure to your own side. Here are some of the complaints I have heard from faithful Christian women over the years. My husband is a workaholic. He is never home. It seems as if he's married to his job. He can pour himself into his job and spend time on his job, but he just doesn't seem to be able to spend time with us, his family. I mean, even when he's home, he's not home. He's working around the house. He's reading the paper. He's watching the TV. This is one we've heard. He won't share his life with me. He shares things, but not himself. He doesn't talk. He's distant. I really don't know my husband. I question if anybody knows my husband. He has no desire to lead me spiritually or lead our family. No desire to go to church to be involved in church or to read his Bible. Sometimes I see such little hunger for God coming from him, I wonder if he's even saved. He won't make decisions. I mean, I, I've tried to submit to him, but he won't lead. Even the simplest of decisions, he won't make them. How do you submit to someone who, who lives like that? Many of you ladies, I'm sure, are familiar with those things. 
And I don't have a doubt in my mind that many of you men are either familiar with them or you are in the process of being familiar with them right now. Ladies, what I would share with you more than anything else in this time that we have today is this. That my desire for you is that as a woman you would understand the crippling, lingering, negatively dynamic effects of the fall upon mankind. From the moment man's eyes were opened to himself in the Garden of Eden, man hid. The first thing he did was put on fig leaves and hide from the woman. And he hid in the bushes to hide from his God. Why? Because of the fear of failure? And because of the fear of rejection that comes from that failure? You see, if I share with you who I really am, you'll reject me. And beloved, I've got to tell you something. I don't believe that most women understand just how weak, vulnerable, and fearful most men are. In fact, I would dare say all men are. What we're dealing with here is fearful human beings, weak human beings, who lack the resources in and of themselves to live in a sin-cursed world. In a world where there is, is failure around every corner. And wherever there is failure, there is someone who's quick to point out the failure. In a world where there is a performance-based acceptance, I'll accept you if you do it right, but if you do it wrong, I will not accept you. And beyond all that, now you take this weak human being and put him in a position where he's called to lead and be a protector provider. And that call to lead and protect and provide is sometimes so strong that it's hard to get men to be real. It's hard to get men to be honest and admit what's going on inside them and the struggles that they face and the anxiety and the worry and the frustration. And then what happens is if they do step out and admit what they're feeling and admit their hurts and their fears, we have a culture and we have a wife sometimes and we have other men that are ever ready to stand up against that and tell them to act like a man and shut up and quit being a baby. We tell men, we abuse men when they're little guys in this country, gang. Little guys. And we tell them, be a big boy and what? Don't cry. And so what we're doing in this country is we are raising up emotionless machines. I call this whole scenario a turtle syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> You see, everything put in this world is put in this world with a purpose. And we can learn from what God has created. Don't you know that's how Jesus taught? As he took his men around the, the Middle East there, that area of the, the promised land, and he, he pointed out things. Look at the weather, and look at the rocks, and look at the birds. And this is how he taught. And I tell you today, look at a turtle. A turtle has a very hard shell on the outside. And why is it there? To protect a very soft and vulnerable inside. And that's a man. 
You've got a man on the outside who's called to be so strong. And on the inside, you've got a man who's so desperately weak. But we don't let him be weak. We don't let him hurt. We don't let him be vulnerable and honest. You know, the funny thing with the turtle is you almost got to coax him out of his shell. But when he pokes his head out that shell, if he senses any danger at all, what's that turtle do? He goes right back into his shell deeper than he ever was before. And it's harder to get him out. And that's what I see with a lot of men. I see a lot of men hiding. The silent wounded. Never being honest with himself or with his bride or with other men. And you know something? One of the best places to hide if you're a little turtle is at work. And an even better place than that is to hide in ministry if you're a Christian. You see, in ministry, because the church focuses on doing and on knowing, you can hide behind correct doctrine. You can hide behind ministry. You can be an usher. You can be a grass cutter. And say, there, I'm doing my part and I'm okay. And, and you can even teach because the way the church operates is through, through the knowledge. And so you can hide behind the knowing of correct doctrine. Oh, oh I know all about the dispensations. I know all about the authority of the Bible and the inspiration of the Bible. I know all about this virgin birth. I know about the deity of Christ. And you wear that doctrine like a fig leaf. Hiding behind it. Having wonderful theological discussions. But never being honest with yourself or with the people around you. Never mind that the truth I know doesn't move from my head to my heart and out my feet. Never mind that the truth does nothing to change the way I live. Never mind that as I hide behind my ministry and hide behind my correct doctrine, I'm dying inside. And you see, beloved, when that happens, you know what we end up with? We end up with Christian marriages where you've got a man at home physically. But spiritually and emotionally, he's not there. And when you have a man who's not there, I want you to understand, please, that this is the man's problem. That man who is living like that needs to receive and appropriate Jesus Christ. He needs to receive the unconditional love and acceptance of Jesus Christ that will give him the courage to stand on his security in Christ and step out and be honest with himself and with those around him, especially those closest to him in intimate relationship, and tell them who he really is and what he's really going through without the fear of rejection because he knows that he's always accepted. And so I will say it again to you, dear people, it is the man's problem. But please hear this, ladies. You can foster the problem with this thing right here. Right here. I wish I had a hundred dollars for every man 
who's told me something like this. I tried to be a spiritual leader, Frank, but I could never do it right. No matter what I did, it wasn't good enough for her. I've heard just a lot. I, I, I feel like I just can't compete with her. Especially in spiritual things. I mean, I go home, at, I leave the home at 7 o'clock in the morning and I get back at 6 o'clock at night and, and there's time to spend with the kids and yet there's maintenance of the house to do and maintenance of the cars and, and I, I can't do it. And, and there she is, you know, with her cassette Walkman on, listening to 5,000 tapes a day while she vacuums and does dishes and does all those things. I can't compete. I can't do that. I'm trying to squeeze time to get to one Bible study. She's already been to three. Now, ladies, don't you dare hear me say you got it easy. I was allowed the privilege of having an office in my home when I saw what little rugrats can do to a wife. They can wear you out. But this is what men feel. You hear that? This is what they feel. I've heard men say this. I used to make decisions in my marriage, or try to, but every time I made a decision, it got ridiculed. And so the safest thing to do was just quit making decisions. I, I used to try to talk with her, but every time I talked, we'd end up in an argument, so it's easier just to not try. I heard this once. She wanted me to spend time with the kids, so I, I spent time with the kids, and you know what she said? Well, it's about time. It was never enough. Never enough. And so a conversation once went like this. She's just critical. I said, of what? Of whatever I do or say. And so over the years, it's just easier to be at work. And when I'm at home, it's easier to just not talk. Just sort of tune her out. So I say, just sort of shut down emotionally? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, tell me, is that easy to do? Oh, no. No, not really. But it's the only way I can survive. And so you eventually end up with a man who's kind of like a robot. But you know something, ladies? He's not a robot. He's a human being. He's got some very real needs. And if those needs aren't met at home, I can guarantee you he will meet them elsewhere. Now again, whose fault is it? Whose responsibility is it? It's his. But you can be a contributor. And what we have by being critical and non-supportive is we find men with mistresses. Sometimes the mistress is a job. And you know why? Because he can get the significance and the praise at the job that he's not getting at home. And when that doesn't satisfy, he'll find himself another woman. Who will praise him the way he needs to be praised. Oh, so cater to the whims of the little guy. No. Gang, that's just the way God's wired us. My friend Bill Gillum, he said it this way, very simply. 
This was a guy who's counseled thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women across this country. They used to pass out a survey. They quit passing out the survey because the answers always came back the same. How I wish, from a guy's response, I wish my wife would. And it was three very simple answers. Submit to me. Honor me. Praise me. And sex me. I mean, that's it. In other words, he's a pretty simple thing. And it's just the way God's wired him. Now, on the contrary, the women's response, I wish my husband would, and they came back 20 different things. And that's okay, because when he made them, the word he used was handcrafted. You know, they're a unique critter. And there's lots of different ways. We'll talk more about that next week. But again, let me say this to you. If a man finds himself a mistress, either at the job, or on the house, or on the cars, or another woman, you better hear me say this. That is man's problem. And that is that man's responsibility. Jesus is there for that man. And Jesus is sufficient for that man. But ladies, you're the contributor. Many, many times. You see, he is not a machine. He is a weak human being who's called to lead. And he's very afraid of failing. And don't you see, ladies, that's where your role comes in. You have an incredible role in the economy of God called the role of influence. You have the role of the husband who is the authority, but you have the role of the women. And the women's role is the role of influence, and it's a powerful role. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll see this. You see, think about authority with me for just a minute. Wherever there is authority, there is going to be decisions made. When the decision is made and the decision leads to failure, whose fault is it? His. Isn't that right? And if we stand ever ready to tell him so, ladies, I guarantee you, you're going to have a man who quits leading. And this is where your role comes in. 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at, the, look at the incredible influence of a woman's role. In the same manner, Peter says, you wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the behavior of the wives. While they behold your chaste conduct, coupled with reverence and fear of, of God, and whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning, braiding the hair, wearing of gold, putting on of, of apparel and fashion and all that, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, that which is not corruptible, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that's whose daughter you are, so follow her path. Do you see that? A woman, in her role of influence, can so live that she can win her husband without even saying a word. Ladies, that's incredible. But if you do this kind of thing, you're actually working against your role. It can lead to nagging and criticism. 
Ladies, just by your behavior you can win them. That means you don't have to slip tracks under the pillow anymore. You don't have to, as Bill Gillum says, slip a track into the roll of toilet paper, you know, so, oh, how'd that get there? You know, you don't have to do that. Just through your behavior you can win him. And if that's true of a non-Christian, you can win him to Christ, how much more so of a man whose heart has already been directed towards God? And so what he says is, don't, don't worry so much about adorning yourself on the outside. Let it be your behavior. Quiet, gentle spirit, which can break that hard shell, the turtle shell of that man. Now listen, please, because this has been perverted. This doesn't mean that you can't adorn the outside. Many people have gone too far the other way and said, don't wear makeup and don't, you know. No, no, no. I mean, I'm in agreement with Chuck Swindoll here. If it needs fixing up, fix it. Okay? And all the men of God said, Amen. But don't get so wrapped up in all the fashion stuff that your life doesn't exemplify a patient, gentle spirit. Because it is that alone that can break the hard shell of a man. You have a tremendous opportunity to give feedback to your husband and steer him. But please notice the key word there. It is influence. It is not manipulation. Well, how does that all work out? All right, here we're going to speed up. Here is the way this passage is normally taught. Let's look secondly at the principles of a woman's role. We're going to go very quickly because you've heard this many times. First of all, notice the word be subject in Ephesians 5.22. What does it say? It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Now, if you look at your Bible closely, you ought to notice something about those words be subject or submit yourselves. What do you notice about them? What? It's in italics. Whenever you see something in italics in your Bible, what does that tell you? That it wasn't in the original manuscript. So here comes our Greek lesson for today. There is Ephesians 5.22 in Greek. Now let's just literally translate it. And, for this we need the big guns. Wives, to your own husbands, as to the Lord. What do you notice? The word submit is not there. The verb for submission then is found from verse 21 and it's supplied. And the fascinating thing about that is in verse 21, it's not just one person's submission, it's mutual submission. Be subject one to another. Let's add a little more. Secondly, it's a middle verb. And you say, what's a middle verb? Well, an active verb. I slapped Robbie. That's an active verb. I did it. There's a passive verb. Robbie was slapped. See that? Middle verb. Robbie slapped himself. He needs help. You see? That's a middle verb. Well, that's what she does. She submits herself. Husbands, you do not make your wife submit. That's called oppression. That's called abuse. This is something she chooses to do with an act of her will. The Greek word is hupatasso. It's a military term meaning to rank yourself under another. To place yourself under another. To esteem another more highly than yourself. And again, it's an issue of the will. And Christian woman, I'm here to tell you that you're free to do this. Because you're in Christ. Because you have flesh, you're also free not to do it. But when you choose not to do it, there will be tragic consequences. And so he adds a phrase. And I want you to see this then. This is self-subjection, not subjugation. 
Well, why should I do it? Well, look at the rest of the verse. This is marvelous. For the husband, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, I want you to look at this. This is not, as some have taught this, submit to your husband as if he's the Lord. Now, men might like that interpretation, but it's wrong. The way it should be translated and applied is this. Submit to your husband and do that to the Lord. In other words, when you submit to your husband, ladies, you are doing it as unto the Lord. In other words, it's an act of worship. In other words, when you fail to submit to your husband, you are not worshiping Jesus Christ. Who supremely would you be worshiping? Yourself. If you submit to your husband, you are in fact then submitting to the Lord. If you fail to submit to your husband, you are in fact not submitting to the Lord. And this becomes a tremendous encouragement then to you ladies. Because there's a lot of times that's the last person in the world you want to submit to. Because he can really act like a jerk sometimes. And all the ladies said, Ooh. <laughs> Did you get their names, guys? And see who they were? Okay. But it's true. There's a lot of times that guy carries flesh. And there's a lot of times that you don't want to submit to him. But keeping in mind that when I do this, it's an act of worship, provides a great motivation for that. Do you see that? I've heard some funny things on this. I heard once a woman say to me, if Paul knew my husband, he wouldn't have written those words. I heard somebody try to tell me once that Paul wrote verse 22, the Holy Spirit wrote, wrote verse 21. <laughs> you know, submit to one another, and Paul got in there and wives, see? And that's the idea. No, no, no. This is an act of worship when we do this. And so you get to get your teeth and present yourself as a vessel. And why do we do that? Well, look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Now, key point here, the husband is the head. Well, a body can't have two heads. If you've got two heads, it's a mutation. Two-headed monster. That's what a lot of marriages are. Two-headed monsters. And there's a lot of havoc wreaked. By the same token, the body responds to the head. If a part of your body doesn't respond to your head and just does its own thing, we call that spastic. See? If the body doesn't respond to the head, we call that paralyzation. And that's a lot of what's happening in Christian marriages. Women were not created to live independent of their husband. And that's a spastic, paralyzed marriage. Do you see that? And so he sums up in verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Don't live independent of the head. It's that simple. And you and I have got to understand this. We play differing roles with a mutual goal. Presenting oneness, presenting Christ to the world, but differing roles. And guys, you've got to get this through your thick head. You respond in this relationship with only one half of your brain. That makes you half-witted. And all the women of God, never mind, we, we know where we're going. Now, women, on the other hand, you've got to realize this about yourself, you respond with another side of your brain. And you take the two sides together and you get a mutual grouping. Is, let me show you how this works, because this, this is incredible in a marriage. I come to Janet. Janet, look, I want to, we're going to purchase this one particular thing, and this is the one I think we ought to buy. Why? Let me tell you. 
Here's this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, and this reason. See, verdict, case, done. And she looks at it and she says, I don't see that. Wait a minute, maybe you didn't hear me. Look, this is the one we need to buy because this, 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 that, and that's a biggie, and this one. And she says, I just don't agree with that. Ready? Here it comes. Why not? I just don't feel that that's the right way to go. <laughs> Wait a minute here. This doesn't compute. Wait a minute. Five reasons and you don't feel? And you better get this through your thick heads, gang. She's going to be right 50% of the time. It's an incredible role of influence. And so what we want to do right now is apply this whole thing. We see the perversion of it. When women leave their role, you're headed for trouble. You're going to beat up a very fearful guy who maybe sometimes doesn't admit it. What are the principles? There it is, just as Christ with the church, and now the practice of it. And to do this, I want to tell you a story. And this is a story from Bill Giller. And it's a great story. He said that they were going to plant a garden one day, and he wanted to plant tomatoes, and Annabelle wanted to plant potatoes or carrots, something under the ground. Why? They were afraid of an early frost. And so Annabelle gave her input, and Bill gave his input, but they couldn't reach a unanimity. Unanimity is what you always want, right? But when you can't reach the unanimity, and each of you is given the input, and finally your back's against the wall, hubby's got to make a decision. He's the one called to do it, he's the one responsible for it. So finally they couldn't reach it, she's putting, pushing carrots and potatoes, and he's pushing tomatoes, and, and it wouldn't work, so finally he's that's it, tomatoes. And so, what does she do at that point? It'll never work. Right? No, that's not what she does. She says, okay, honey, let's go buy the tomatoes. So they go buy the tomato plants, put the tomato plants in. They sprout up. Guess what happens? Early frost. Kills the plants. And don't you just know what she, in her flesh, wants to say. I told you so. And guess what? You just beat up that man's role as a husband and he's going to quit making decisions. And so going against the grain of her flesh, she grits her teeth and she tells him this. Well, honey, let's just go get the tiller out and plow those old dead tomato plants into the soil so they'll be a distant memory. And besides that, those dead plants are going to provide some great fertilizer for the next set of tomatoes that we go get. And don't you just know that her stock went up 100 points. And what you had at that point is a Proverbs 31 husband. Now, when I shared that in the first service, a couple of people looked at me like this. And I said, what's the matter? Well, Proverbs 31 is about the woman. But don't you know there's a husband in that passage? And you know what that husband does? You know where he is while the wife's out doing all this stuff? He's down at the temple gate saying, man, you ought to see my wife. She is awesome. And he's praising her. And that's what I'm here to tell you. My bride, over the years, has been my number one cheerleader. Really. Now, she cheered against me in college. I didn't know that. We met after we both graduated, and I found out that she cheered for another college, and she happened to be cheering the same year that school beat my school for the first time in 15 years. And so I told her it was all her fault, naturally. And then I also told her that I'm sure I had met her years before, because we always checked out the opposing team's cheerleaders. But... <laughs> In any event, this is the kind of the way she responds to me. She's a cheerleader. 
And I'll tell you this, in fact, my bride has actually received some criticism from people sometimes because she won't talk about me. You never share anything about Frank. Gang, that's not her job. If she has a problem with Frank, she has two opportunities. She goes to her father about me or she comes to me. And I treasure her for that. I absolutely treasure her for that. Because I fail. No, you didn't know that, did you? Yeah, I do. But she's my cheerleader. So here's what I want to give you. And I wish this was mine, but it's not. It's Bill Gillum's. The first thing that she needs to do when she reaches a circumstance that's troubling her and the role of her husband is not working out, she needs to appropriate Jesus Christ as her security and her life. Yeah, the decision's not going your way, ladies. Your security is not based on you not winning. Your security, your identity is based in Christ alone. Grit your teeth and believe that. Secondly, release control here by faith. But Father, if I let him do that, he's going to fail. Let him fail. Let him learn to appropriate Christ. Let him learn to listen to your voice. In your efforts to protect him, you're driving him further into his shell. God can handle him. Romans 14 ought to be a memory verse for every one of us. To his own master he stands and his master is able to make him stand. And ladies, Jesus Christ goes with that hubby 24 hours a day from the inside out. You can't do that even though you try with the phone and the pager and the cards. You can't do it. So release the control. Let Father have him. Father will deal with him. Then thirdly, submit and honor him. Esteem him. And encourage him. Now those four are tough to do. Don't you just know that when those tomato plants died, Annabelle had to grit her teeth and do these four things. But when you do that, you're fulfilling your role. And yours is a position of influence that's drawing that man out and enabling him and helping him to be a man. Now, there is a fifth one, and this is the easy one. Confront. Now, this is what we often want to do, ladies, is we want to skip the first four and go to the fifth one. It's not how it works. He's not going to hear you. He's going to see you as critical, negative, and nagging. Unless you are fulfilling these first four. When you fulfill these first four on a regular basis, when you do come with a confrontation, he will be more apt to hear you. Let me share with you a story. And this is, this is a true story. And it's kind of funny in a way. I had a lady call me several years ago. And she says, Frank, that's it. I'm putting my foot down. I said, well, tell me about this. Why do you want to put your foot down, hon? She says, the best man at our wedding is an unbeliever. He was my husband's best friend growing up. and Now, my husband has become a Christian. But this man is an unbeliever. And he's got a live-in girlfriend. And he's wanting to bring that live-in girlfriend to our house now that God has given us and he expects to stay in the same bedroom with his live-in girlfriend. And this is God's house. God gave us this house for his glory and I don't think we should compromise and let them sleep together in our house. As well, what's your hubby say? Well, he says, you know, they're unbelievers and you can't legislate morality. We have no authority over them. We've got to let them be adults and let's let them in our home and try to witness to them and let our light shine. And just do that. And she, I said, well, what's the problem? She said, I just don't agree with that. And I'm putting my foot down. This is wrong. 
God gave us this house. I said, well, honey, listen, you can't put your foot down. That's stepping out of your role. Yours is a role of influence. Here's what I want you to do. When your hubby comes home tonight and you've had dinner and you're doing the dishes, come on over, sit down at the table and take his hand. And do this very gently. Say, honey, listen, I have a role to play in this marriage. I, I have the role of, of influence. I have the role of support. And I want you to know that no matter what, I support your decision. I want to share with you one last time where I'm coming from. And then I want you to know that you're free to make this decision. I'm going to submit to this decision. I'm going to honor you. And I'm not going to bring it up again. Okay? And then tell him what you feel. Tell him where you're coming from. Very gently. And then just as you're done telling him, I want you to get up and go back to the dishes. But tell him one last thing. Honey, I don't think that we ought to let him stay here. But I want you to know that this is your decision. And I'm going to submit to it. But I also want you to know that you're responsible before God for the consequences. Next day, I got a phone call. You're not going to... It worked! I said, well, tell me about it. She's like, just like you said, he came home and I grabbed his hand and I told him what I felt and I told him that, you know, I wasn't going to nag and argue and complain anymore, but this was his decision. And by the way, you're responsible for the consequences, not me. And I just went through the dishes and he sat there real quiet at the table. And then he went out in the living room and he came back in and about a half hour later and he said, there is no way they are going to stay in our house. <laughs> oh. You know, some people would say, that was manipulation. No, it wasn't. It was influence. She was giving a gentle reminder, not only of her role, but of his. And calling him to that. Alright, we come to a final point and this is the hardest part, perhaps, but the part that we have to do. And that is the application of this. And naturally, we'll go with the women here first. And I challenge you to take an honest look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I an abusive woman? Am I the one that Frank was talking about today? Am I the one who's always critical of everything my husband does, nagging and complaining? And if that's you, then you need to go to your father in prayer first of all and confess that to him that you haven't been living according to your role and thank him for the forgiveness that is already yours in Jesus Christ. You don't have to ask forgiveness. That forgiveness is given already. You do need to confess though. And then secondly, go to your husband and confess that to him. Honey, I've been that abusive woman to you. I haven't supported you. And I need to confess that to you and and ask you for your forgiveness. And then, ladies, you need to follow through with step two, and that's be a vessel of encouragement. You say, well, he's really hard to encourage. Yeah, you know, I probably wouldn't want to be married to him either. But find something to encourage him. Honey, you trimmed your nose hairs good today, you know? Uh, You put the tie on good. Uh, Whatever, find something to encourage him and praise him. And men, I challenge you to take an honest look at the way you live. Are you wearing fig leaves and hiding in your job and overworking so you can avoid your home? Are you that little turtle with a hard shell that's protecting yourself? And if that's you, I challenge you to be honest with your spouse and share your life with her. Share your struggles with her. Share your fears and your frustrations. Share your hurts. 
Oh man, share your hurts. A couple, I guess it was about a year ago, I had something in my life growing up that I share, I made a vow with to myself and I said, I will never share this with another human being. And about a year ago, in a tender moment, I grabbed the hand of my wife and I shared with her. And she didn't reject me, which is why you wouldn't share, right? And she voiced her acceptance and her love. And that intimate bridge got even stronger. Guys, let her see your weakness. And ladies, let him be weak. You see, he was never created to be strong. He was created to be dependent on the one who is strength personified. If we understand the New Testament correctly, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, the power of God, the grace of God is perfected in our, what? Weakness. So as my dear friend Jack Taylor says, the next time somebody comes up to you and asks you how you're doing, you haul right off and tell them, I'm weak, thank you. Very weak. And let's start being honest. My father, let him who has ears to hear, hear. And we're going to trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.